In today's episode, we speak with retiree Tom McGurn, who was a high-powered executive, and he used the skills that he learned as an executive to be sure that he never hit that wall that many executives hit six months after they retire. Learn how he did it, and you can too, in today's episode of Rock Your Retirement. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Today's guest is Tom McGurn, who earned his first paycheck as a journalist writing sports for a daily newspaper while still in high school. He continued to work as a part-time journalist during college and then pursued a career in public relations after graduation. In 1975, at age 28, and with about five years' experience, he got a huge break. He was hired as part of the startup management team at BMW of North America, the sales and marketing arm for Bavarian Motor Works. He didn't leave until he retired at the end of 2007. During his career, Tom was responsible for public relations, industry affairs, dealer relations, and a host of communication responsibilities, including speech writing, corporate meetings, and training. The San Diego area came home after retirement. Tom currently stays busy as a volunteer mentor with SCORE, a member of the foundation board at Cal State San Marcos, and with photography and travel. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kathy. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that you're here. So it certainly sounds like you had a high-powered career while you were working. It was a terrific career. Um, We started out very, very small. I mean, BMW was unknown in the United States back in 1975. The annual sales volume was about 15,000 cars, which now is sort of a bad weekend in in, in sales. (laughs) And the, the brand was largely unknown. There was a pocket of enthusiasts on the East Coast and on the West Coast. And so we set out to introduce why we were different than other luxury cars. And uh, the phrase, the ultimate driving machine was coined uh, to, to introduce our new company and introduce our products. And we grew every year for about 10 years and it was really exciting. And then we sort of hit a wall because the economy was bad and the something came into the market that no one expected called Japanese luxury cars. And uh, (laughs) Lexus Lexus especially did a (laughs) fabulous job. And then we recovered and we built a factory in the United States. And now we, BMW is seen as one of the most respected and well-known brands in the entire world. And it is certainly a leader in the United States in both the luxury market, but it's sort of setting a tone in the whole automotive market. So it was it was terrific to be part of that. Wow. Yeah. And I have very fond memories. So fess up. Do you drive a BMW? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a couple of them and uh, I think we'll always have them. <laughs> one daughter has one. The other daughter has a Jeep for some reason. Oh, yeah. We, we'll, we, we won't talk about yeah. her. <laughs> so after having such a fabulous career... Did you feel, you know, now it's been a while since you've retired, so you're going to have to think back. Did you kind of hit a wall going from working 2,000 hours a year to nothing? I did for maybe a month. You know, we, we moved. We, we, I was based in New Jersey, and I, I knew it was coming. So that, that was a great part of it because I was involved, obviously, in senior management and in communication. So about April of 2007, 
there was a meeting where our boss said, we are going to offer a very wide uh, retirement package for the end of the year. So I was involved in the communication strategy. So I knew that it was coming. And we had always planned to come back to California because our, our roots are in California. So I had a head start that way. So we actually were able to buy a home here and move here and actually moved in and had Christmas dinner in 2007, you know, a week before I officially retired. So that that was really nice. So once we got moved in and sort of settled, yeah, there was that thing of saying, okay, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do next? And yeah, I sort of wrestled with that. I, uh, I watched a lot of TV. It was an election year and I'm sort of a political and news junkie. And I started reading because I, the only time I had a chance to read was on some airplane flights, but most of the time I was reading what I had to read rather than reading, right. reading for pleasure. And I started playing a little more golf than I had. And yeah, but I did wonder for a while, what's going to happen? How am I going to fill my days? And then it started to evolve because then we started to enjoy things. You could set your own schedule. We started to explore San Diego where we hadn't lived. My wife had lived here before we got married in 1975. And I had visited here a lot and, you know, sort of exploring California again, rediscovering California, reuniting with a lot of friends who we'd only seen sporadically over the time that we lived in the East. So all of that started happening and the, the ability to travel and the ability to just sort of say, gee, let's pick up and do this today. And, you know, San Diego is such a wonderful place in terms of, you know, the museums and the park and sports and everything that goes on here. Or just, you know, riding along Coast Highway and having lunch at some funky restaurant in Encinitas or, you know, <laughs> there's just so many great things to do. So that was the first realization of of, wow, I can do whatever I want to do today. And how did you handle that? Like, how long did it take you to get into a groove? Because so many people retire, and then like you did, they settle into watching TV. How did you get out of that and start actually getting out there and doing things? Well, I wanted to volunteer. Uh, I had been very active during my corporate career uh, volunteering. I had been on the boards of directors of uh, several not-for-profits, the the Red Cross, the Girl Scout Council, when our children were involved in Girl Scouts. I served for, oh, probably 10 or 15 years on the foundation board of a state uh, college in New Jersey, the Ramapo College of New Jersey, and I was the chairman of the board, actually, when I retired, so I served about 10 months as, as the chairman of the board. So I said, what do I want to get involved here? Um, so education was one target, and I initially got involved on the foundation board at Miracosta College, which is the community college that serves the area where I live. And so I did that and it was very rewarding. It was an interesting time for the college because they were going through a leadership change, and I helped work with an interim president on some public relations communications things. And then when a new full-time president was hired, um, he was a fantastic communicator, and I worked with him, and we developed really a nice relationship. So I did a lot of sort of counseling with him, which was terrific. He even gave me the opportunity to interview the final candidates to be the um, public information officer for the for the university. Just the two of us did it, which was you know really a thrill. I was when he asked me, I I said, "How many people are going to be involved?" And he said, "It's you and me, buddy. We're going to make the decision." And, That's and, amazing. And, and, that, and that was really great. And then I joined SCORE, uh, a friend of mine in Milwaukee, talking to him. And he said, you know, you ought to look into SCORE. That might be really an interesting thing for you to do to take your, your business experience and help other people's 
start a new business or give them advice in running their small business. So I applied and was accepted. I figured you would just apply and everybody would say, great, come on in and let's get to work. <laughs> but actually there was a, a about a six month orientation period where you attended uh, several of the workshops that the organization puts on. So you could see both the, the content and the style of the workshops and how, how people interface with clients during the workshop environment. And then you and then you mirror or you shadow all of the jobs. So we have a call center. So you do a couple of days in the call center and learn how that works. You sit with an experienced mentor when they're doing one-on-one -on -one counseling and learn from them. So that's been very rewarding. I've been at that now for, I think I'm starting my seventh year. And I've been an, an officer for a couple of years, uh, been involved internally in a lot of marketing activities. And then externally with clients, I do a business planning workshop and I do a lot of mentoring, one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And I've got a nice base of four or five clients who I've been with now for a long time who have gone from, one has gone from coming up to me in a business planning workshop with, a, with some cardboard cutouts and saying, I want to tell you about my idea. And her idea was to have tiles that either match up or link together. And, and they can be used to teach mathematic principles, especially geometry, but a wider range of mathematic principles. So she said, would you help work with me? And this was probably five years ago. And that has evolved into putting her together with somebody to find a manufacturer in the United States. The final product design, which is a really colorful, durable plastic that clicks together to marketing and branding. Uh, just last weekend, uh, I helped work on a script for a video that will be up on uh, on YouTube and social media for the product. She's in a major catalog that is used by teachers. Uh, so she's actually in the market and selling the product now. And that has been extremely rewarding. We've become good friends and she's getting some success and getting traction with her product. And it's it's just great fun. We, we exchange, you know, we meet maybe every two or three weeks and exchange email messages several times a week. And, and it's just great being an advisor. That's great. So how much does she have to pay for all this? She pays nothing. Nothing. No, nothing. So it's not like Shark Tank where they take, you know, a 30-year company. No, no. SCORE is a wonderful organization. It, uh, it's a volunteer organization. So it's people who are mostly retired, but not all. There are still some people who are active in their businesses. It's a, a good combination of men and women. It's a combination of people who own their own companies and people who, like me, never owned a company but were had a senior management position in a corporation. So you have a wide range of perspectives from that standpoint. And then you have people who have done virtually every job there is. So we have people who are accountants. We have people who are advertising people. We have people, PR people. We have people who um, have HR background. You know, We have the whole gamut of different skills that you need to run a business. So you can call in specialists, uh, like when I first started working on with this math project, I called in somebody who had been a manufacturer who actually designed things and was in, it, it, an expert in molding plastic, which I know nothing about. Um, <laughs> so that's what we can do. We have 80 people in San Diego and SCORE nationally has like 12,000 people. So you even can get access to them through email counseling if you want, but it's, it's all free. There's a a minimal charge. It's like $20 for a half day workshop. 
but other than that, all of the one-on-one counseling that we do with people is free. It's very customized to the needs of the client and also customized to sort of their schedule. So we have fixed locations around the county where people can come. In North County, we're at the Carlsbad Chamber, for instance, every Monday and every Friday for five one-hour-long appointments. But most of my appointments are done at coffee shops. So we just meet up at a coffee shop and we can be there for as long as we need to to talk out what we want to talk about. So it's a it's really a, a quite a terrific program. And we, you know, are always trying to get more and more people to know about it. Because uh, in a busy media market like San Diego, it's, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to uh, get a voice in a, in a major market like this. Hmm. And does, it sounds like it takes up a lot of your time. Well, that's the interesting thing. And that's, you know, that's one of the things about retirement is that the cliche is, gee, I never knew I would be as busy as I am. Uh, but with retirement, I mean, you're in control of that. So if you get overburdened and overworked, and bogged down with stuff that you're not enjoying doing, well, it's your own fault, but you can change it. If you get, if you're really busy and really enthusiastic and getting a great deal of reward from what you're doing, well, that's great because you can control that as well. So, um, yeah, sometimes it gets a little busier than I'd like, but it's, uh, but it, it all in all, it's, it's really a good experience and it still allows enough time to do other things. I'm also involved now on the foundation board at Cal State San Marcos, which is a really growing, uh, great university in serving really all of North County, but serving into into Riverside County with a campus in Temecula. And it's really becoming a well-known institution. Um, So I'm involved there. And what does a foundation do at a university? It spreads the word about how good the university is, and it raises money to help students. The San Marcos has a very high percentage of students who are the first members of their family to ever attend college. It has a very high number of former foster children as students, and it has a tremendous financial need amongst the students. So raising scholarship money to help those people complete their education is uh, extremely rewarding, and I think really uh, something that all of us should do. The California university system and the Cal State system are really excellent systems. When I went through a Cal State campus way back in the 60s, I didn't pay any money. It was free. We paid, Well, that's changed. Yeah, we paid student <laughs> fees. Yeah, and now it's changed. And if you look at the percent of money that comes from Sacramento to fund the Cal system and the Cal State system, it diminishes each year. So the the system has to rely more and more on private money in order to maintain the standard of education and keep tuition reasonable. It is expensive. Of course, it's expensive. But to keep it reasonable and to try and help people who can't pay at all to get assistance so that they can get their education. And then there are wonderful statistics about how much of that money, how much of that investment comes back into the community. And people who go to school in North County, San Diego, It'll be a real shock to say they don't want to leave. <laughs> they really like it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why people would want to leave San Diego. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so you know, businesses and and people who are involved in in in, in giving just uh, from their own foundations or their own checkbooks, it, it's a tremendous investment. It's an investment that really pays off in the economic vitality of the area and also just the quality of life because you're you're graduating really bright 
students who are coming into the economy and into the society and, you know, enriching what we already have. Well, it sounds like you're really um, taking your work experience, the experience that you got while you were working, and you've parlayed that into basically what you're doing in retirement to keep yourself healthy and vital and young. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing um, because I was passionate about what I did at work. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I had incredible experiences, um, you know, got to meet some absolutely brilliant people and work with them and journalists and, you know, was on national television. I mean, a lot of, lot of really, a lot of great <laughs> stories that I was able to participate in. Yeah. And then I, I wanted to share that, but I wanted to share it in a way that was forward looking rather than just being some graying guy saying, oh, let me tell you back in, you know, 1980 when we did this. Back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. I, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can use that experience. But the whole thing is, what does that mean today? And what does that mean to people? In joining SCORE, one of the one of the questions in my mind was, was I... You know, all my background was in staff jobs. You know, I worked for the president of the company and I was, you know, a staff person rather than even a line person or certainly not an owner. And I said, is this going to really translate into helping small business people? And that was, you know, that was something that I expressed to the people in SCORE and it was something that was on my mind. And what I found is absolutely, because writing a business plan, what is it? It's telling a story. It's it's figuring out what what is going to be important to your your customer, your target audience? And how are you going to market it? How are you going to position yourself? What's your competitive advantage? And often what happens is somebody who is starting their own business is so close to what they're doing. I mean, they're so intellectually involved in it. They're emotionally involved in it. And they're about to become financially involved in it that sometimes they don't, they're just too close. And they need somebody to say, let's take a step back and let's look at this. And is this really a competitive advantage? Because, you know, business A down the street is doing this pretty well. So is that you're going to stake everything on that? No, maybe you want to consider something else. So it has turned out that I have been able to take my experience and translate it into the challenges that our people are facing today. What, what one big challenge is media, though, because I grew up in traditional media. I grew up working with you know, the great pleasure was to work with great journalists from the Wall Street Journal or New York Times or Fortune Magazine or something like that. Well, print journalism is on the decline, obviously, and electronic journalism is, and and electronic non-journalism is on the ascent. Well, some could say that this show is a form of journalism. Yeah. You know, and um, I, I, I do agree with you that the print form, my brother actually used to be a sports writer. And he saw the writing on the wall and left his job. And now he does something completely different. Right. So a lot of people are doing that. And, you know, just as an aside, I think the demise of daily newspapers who do great investigative journalism, like what was highlighted in the Oscar award winning movie, um, is a tremendous, it's an essential element of democracy. And for those of you who are listening to this five years from oh, now, sorry, this, what's the what's the name of the movie? The movie is Spotlight, which was a story about the Boston newspaper that uncovered the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Diocese of Boston, and it was a great uh, investigative journalism story, just like uh, All the President's Men was about the Watergate incident back in the in the seventies. 
So it's sort of a crime story, whodunit story, follow the lead story, but a story that showed an enormous amount of courage with a group of journalists who were fighting an enormous institution in a largely Catholic uh, community of, of Boston. And with, I and with a, lot of Af- and a lot of, you know, and what was brought out is, you know, do we really want to anger our advertisers by taking on this institution? And the, the, uh, the journalists in it said, yeah, we, we've got to tell this story. And I'm so glad that they did. And, you know, investigative journalism is declining. Absolutely. And it's a shame. And it is a shame because these days I find a lot of um, uh, journalists that really just repeat the, you know, what they're told. They just repeat what's, what a marketing PR person tells them and they're really not digging in. And that's one of the reasons why I pretty much don't listen to the news anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And there's a lot of people repeating what other journalists are saying. Because with our 24-hour-a-day news cycle, there's a lot of content out there. And a lot of people repeat and repeat and repeat. But don't go that deep into in what they're doing. And, you know, here we are. We're in, uh, in February or March now today. Uh, you know, Super Tuesday, one of the first big primary days of the election, and the election coverage is just pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. The the debates are, you know, one person will say something, and then everybody reacts to that and comments on that, and they get into the minutia of, you know, who shot Jack over that. Instead of sitting down and saying, you know, I'd sit down with every candidate and say, okay, what's your platform, and how is this can pencil out? So you're right. Investigative journalism is dying and that's sad. And I hope that it does come back somehow. I'm not sure how that will be with all of the bloggers and everybody, you know, everybody these days is a journalist. Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to putting more of a burden on each of us as a consumer of both, um, you know, goods that we buy, but also a consumer of ideas and that, and that we have to go to multiple sources and go to sources that are on various sides of an issue and consider all those and then think and think and right. say, okay, you know, this makes sense. And I buy 25% of that and I buy 50% of that and I buy a little bit of that and think and come up with your own, your own views, discuss those with your family and discuss them with other people. And just as you would do if you're buying a, you know, the new 250 inch television, <laughs> You'd talk, or a BMW. Or a BMW. <laughs> yep. And yeah, you talk to people, you talk to experts, and you talk to people who have experience. So I think we need to do that with public affairs as well as we do as as, as consumers of goods. Well, that that is a, a very, very good point. So we're actually coming up towards the end of the show. So there's a couple of questions that I like to ask all of my interviewees. And the first one is, what is one thing that you wish you would have known before you retired? I think how much fun it would be. I think <laughs> it was an un, a bit of an unknown, had a little bit of a worry, and to just know that it's really a very enjoyable life, and also to have control of your life, you know, travel when you want to travel, read what you want to read, of course, fulfill your obligations and all of that, but, you know, the level of control is really nice and adds to the the whole enjoyment of, of being retired. Well, that, that's good advice. And then the second is, we have some listeners who are either new retirees or maybe they've been retired for a while and they feel stuck. 
So if you were sitting across from one of these retirees, either new or have been retired for a while, what's, what would you say to them? What's the piece of advice that you would give to them to get either get unstuck or get prepared? I think I'd ask, what's your passion? What really gets you excited? What gets you fulfilled? What do you find rewarding? Is it going out and playing golf? Is it going fishing? Is it doing, you know, that sort of thing? Is it a hobby that you've never had time to explore? Um, or is it giving back to the community, either through, um, you know, financial giving or to volunteer in an organization? And virtually anything that, you know, on the, on the volunteer side, think of the entire gamut of things that you can do. You can work with kids. You can work with foster kids. You could go to a senior citizen's home and read to people. You can go to a senior citizen's home. Somebody told me about going and just talking, talking to the people and letting, giving them an opportunity to reminisce about their lives, which is really an important thing. We have a new puppy. And one, <laughs> one of the things that my wife is going to do is take the puppy to schools and give kids who are shy about reading to their peers or their teacher or adults an opportunity to read to the dog. It's a program that goes on. I think it's in Solana Beach, but it's, you know, it's probably all around the country. I mean, what a great opportunity. So they'll read to our goofy dog and kids will <laughs> love the dog and hopefully build more confidence about their reading skills. So there's so many wonderful things that you could do. So figure out what, you know, what, what you enjoy doing. Uh, I enjoy photography, which I always just sort of did, you know, when I could, and now I'm getting more serious about it. And I've taken some workshops and, and I'm, and I'm getting a, a great deal of pleasure out, out of that. When we go on a, on a trip, I always do a book for, ourselves and for the other couple that we've been traveling with. So, and maybe travel is the thing, but identify, you know, what, what's going to really excite you. What's going to give you satisfaction. What's going to give you reward, find it. It's there, it's out there and do it. And then use your, use your experience, use your personality, use your passion and do it. And I think that that is one of the great opportunities of retirement. That is fantastic advice, Tom. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Now, before we end the show, I want to give you the opportunity. Would you like to give the contact information for your SCORE chapter, just in case anybody from San Diego would like to get more information, or you could give the national SCORE information in case anybody who's listening on the East Coast or anywhere in the United States would like information. Well, great. Thank you for that opportunity. The national organization is at SCORE, S-C-O-R-E dot org. And the San Diego chapter is San Diego, written as one word, dot SCORE dot org. And that by accessing both those, you'll get all the information about what we do, how we do it, and also the opportunity to volunteer because uh, that's a obviously a thing that a lot of people, we have 85 people in San Diego who really enjoy it, really devote a lot of time to it and really get a reward for it. So uh, give it a try. See, see if that's a good match for you. That's great. And then what about the foundation board of Cal State San Marcos? Would you like to give out their information as well? Well, it, you can just search Cal State San Marcos. Um, and there it will give you information about the uh, university, and there's a tab on the website for the foundation and it explains what the foundation does. But it gives you all sorts of information 
about academic programs, about scholarships, about athletics. Cal State San Marcos is making the transition into NC2A Division II, which is very exciting. Uh, so, and building a new athletic center. Go to the website, just search Cal State San Marcos, and then their website will direct you in any way you want to go. Well, thank you so much. To our listeners, thank you for listening to this, and we will see you again on Rock Your Retirement. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, you'll get notifications whenever we have a new interview. So we'll see you again next time at Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. If you would like to comment on our episodes, you can go to rockyourretirement.com. You can also call our comment line at 858-8-R-O-C-K-I-T, which is 858-876-2548. You may also want to subscribe to the show. This allows you to listen in your car, listen while you walk your dog, go to the gym, or do the dishes. Just go to the iPhone podcast application and search for Rock Your Retirement. If you have an Android phone, you can subscribe using Stitcher or Podcast Addict. Has your doctor told you to exercise more, but then you wondered how much more and which exercises would be best to get the results you want? I'm fitness trainer Christine Burke. I'd like to help answer your questions so you can start exercising and get some great results sooner. Right now, Rock Your Retirement podcast listeners can get free tips and a special offer by going to my website at lightheartedfitness.com slash R-O-C-K rock. That's lightheartedfitness.com slash rock for the Rock Your Retirement special offer.